0: All right, week six in our study on soul rest. The big idea we've come back to each week based on Christ's invitation to come to him, to take his yoke on us, to enter into life with him, to learn from him, his promise. If you do that, you will find rest for your soul. And that ought to be the default posture for a Christian in any circumstance No matter how dark or joyful the situation, our souls can and ought to be at rest. We learned that we can rest because of the work of the cross of Jesus. That because of that, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can rest from guilt and shame. We learned that we can rest as God's child. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We can rest in that. There's a big difference being God's child, right, than being his charge or his object of judgment. And then we learn that we can rest in our eternal hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said, because I live, you will live. And the empty tomb and the resurrected life that we live right now ought to give us rest in that area of greatest fear for us, and that is our eternal destiny. The great question that so many ask, what happens? Where will I spend eternity? As Christians, we can, we can put that to rest, and our souls can be at rest, because we know heaven awaits us. Those are all powerful things. Man, if we could bottle that, <laughs> the anxiety that we experience in our culture would disappear, and yet here we are as Christians, we know these things, And the truth is we still struggle with anxiety and fear and turmoil. So here's the question I want you to think about. If in fact Christ said you will find rest for your soul, and if we still struggle with anxiety, then what is getting in the way? What is blocking our soul rest? So what I wanna talk about today are soul rest killers. Those things that we allow to be present in our life that work to destroy that peace, that rest that we are to have in our hearts because of our faith in Christ. Now, when I started thinking about the kinds of things that get in the way of our soul rest, that list got long. But I've chosen four to focus on today and give you an opportunity to look at them and maybe deal with them so that the rest of God can move unobscured into your spirits today, all right? So the first soul rest killer is unconfessed sin. I want you to say this verse with me from 1 Peter. Dear friends, I warn you to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Notice the contrast between Christ's promise of rest for our soul and war in our very soul that the desires that we struggle with, those things that we entertain in our lives, we have war, we have tension in our spirit, especially as children of God. I don't know if women struggle with this as much as men do, but guys, we're really good at compartmentalizing, aren't we? Having one area of our life that is in sin and then another area of our life where we're dealing with God. It's so easy to have these things that we know are in our life that don't belong there. We can shut off our walk with God and our spirituality and just dive into those things. One very strong area for for men in particular is pornography. Used to be when I was younger, if you were tempted, you had to go someplace. Now it just shows up on your phone, right? Surveys show that men in churches are no no less prone towards that. But yet we show up at church and turn that part of our life off and worship God and think everything's great. And the reality is that Duality can exist if our hearts are going to experience true soul rest. I want to take you to Psalm chapter 32. This is a psalm of David. And he's describing the impact of unconfessed sin in his own life and then finally dealing with it and finding rest and joy once again for his soul. Psalm chapter 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So he begins by rejoicing. Now he's obviously come through this, this season of darkness, and he's rejoicing that when you have experienced forgiveness in God, boy, that's a blessed state to be in. And he's remembering back to before that when he had this hidden and unconfessed sin. We don't know if it's the sin we're most aware of in David's life uh, that he's so famous for, but there was definitely a season where he had this hidden, unconfessed sin in his life, and he says, man, when I was silent about it, Listen to this, my bones wasted away. He's talking about the opposite of soul rest. In his heart, he was wasting away and withering. It was eating him from the inside out. And then he says, your hand was heavy on me. Now, listen to this. What he's saying is God contributed to his lack of soul rest because of his unconfessed sin. You know what that's called in the Bible? Conviction. Conviction. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit who's present in every believer's life. That's God's loving hand. So when David says, your hand was heavy on me, it was the loving hand of God pressuring him in the right direction. And the reason why it was heavy on him was because he was moving in the wrong direction. It was the hand of God pushing against his spirit to move him to confess, and many of us know that spirit on us. And then he says, even my physical well-being eventually was set, my energy, my strength was set if we have unconfessed, undealt with sin in our lives. It kills our relationship with God, and it kills the rest in your soul. And then he goes on and says, verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. In other words, I came clean, I got real. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What's the result of confession? Peace, he's at peace. He's back in right relationship with God and he's at rest in the arms and the care of God. It's powerful, it's powerful. And so let me ask you this this question. I'm gonna let you just sit with it for a minute after I ask the question and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But here's the question. What unconfessed sin is in your heart or life that is keeping you at war in your soul rather than at peace? Killer number two. I think I did the tough one first. I think it gets easier as we go. But this one's a little hard, too. And that's an unforgiving spirit. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Again, let's say this together. Work at living in peace with everyone. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Notice the language of these things in Scripture as we're bringing them out. Contrast them with soul peace, the evil desires that war against our soul, and in this case, the unforgiving spirit that takes root in our soul and produces bitterness instead of peace. There is nothing that will rob you of the rest of God more than an unforgiving spirit, than bitterness that you hold towards people, that have harmed you and brought pain in your life. Now, as I touch on this, for some of you, this just may be somebody who you're mad at just because they just wounded you with words. And you're probably more mad than you should be. But then, when we talk about this kind of area, there are always those who have experienced immense pain from someone. Immense damage and hurt. And so I don't want to take this lightly, but what I want to tell you is how you deal with that woundedness can either move you towards God or away from God. Can either make you bitter or better. What I'm after in terms of this is not resolution for you because you may or may not ever get resolution. What I'm after is your liberty from this pain because a bitter spirit towards those that have harmed you is only hurting you. Chances are it's not impacting that person at all. And so holding pain, refusing to deal with that pain is keeping you as a prisoner of that person's actions or words, do you understand that? That's why, for many of us, we go back to our habits. We go back to the things that we use to dull our pain because we haven't resolved that. We are still prisoners of those persons' actions. That's not doing anything to those people, but it's killing us. We need to learn to forgive. Now, how do I forgive in a setting where the person has never asked for forgiveness? Or the person is no longer in my life at all. For some, the people that we're still bitter against may have even passed on. How do I achieve this state of forgiveness in those settings? Because doesn't a person need to ask me for forgiveness for me to grant it? Well, no, actually. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. forgave you. So what does it mean to deal with our unforgiving spirit so that the root of bitterness is rooted out and leaves way for soul rest? What does that type of forgiveness look like? Let's say, for instance, it's a person that at one time I was very close to, and and they wounded me terribly. Does it mean somehow I have to recover that friendship? Is that what we're looking at? Do I, do I act like things never happened and, and go back to the beginning? Well, that's a different dynamic. That's reconciliation. And sometimes reconciliation is possible. Sometimes it's necessary, especially, for instance, in marriage. I've seen God do powerful, transforming work in marriages where great betrayal Occurred as they not only learned to forgive but reconcile to one another. But what we are talking about here, this type of forgiveness is not turning the clock back as though that didn't happen. It's not pretending the wound isn't there because the wound is there and the wound will always be there. Eventually, God can redeem that and make it part of your redemptive story. Some of you know that, right? Yeah. You know, you're seeing how God is using the brokenness that you experienced to do something really powerful in your life right now. God can redeem that brokenness, but the brokenness stays with you. It becomes part of a magnificent story, but it's still there. You know what it means to forgive as Christ forgave? It means to relinquish our demand that those people pay for what they did. It means to let go of our requirement emotionally to see them pay for what they did, to get what they deserve. That's what we received in Christ. We all deserve judgment. And God set that aside, did not give us the judgment we deserve because Christ took that judgment. And that's the standard, that's what we're talking about. And I want to tell you, all of us can do that. All of us can do that and and it's not for the person that wounded you, it's for you. That you need to do that that's why jesus said in his prayer that he taught us to pray forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us and then after he taught that prayer it was the first thing he chose to comment on it's as though he knew when he said it to them they were all going what you talking about well what's that all about So it's the very first thing he chooses to comment on, and he says, for if you do not forgive those who hurt you, neither will your Father forgive you. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying you cannot fully experience the grace of God in your life if you are not able to extend that forgiveness to others. See, in order to be a recipient of God's grace, we have to be a conduit of God's grace. It's not something we just receive selfishly. There are two major bodies of water in the land of Israel. One is the Dead Sea. How many have ever been to the Dead Sea? Have you floated in the Dead Sea? It's pretty amazing. What's that? You s- no, you did it. No, you didn't. So much salt in the Dead Sea. Nothing can live in it. Nothing, it's Salt coats everything. It's, it's dead. And you know why? Fresh, life-giving water comes in but doesn't go out. Nothing lives there. And then there's the Sea of Galilee, one of the richest water masses in the world. Life-giving water comes in. The Sea of Galilee produces so much life, and it also gives out that water to other streams and eventually all the way down to the ocean. You see, you're either one or the other. That's the point of God's grace. In order for me to fully receive it, it has to flow through me to others. So you need to forgive to experience the fullness of that reality of the cross that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so let, let me ask you this question. Who are you harboring bitterness against that you need to forgive? Let go. Let go of that bitterness. Relinquish what you think is your right to see them pay for what they did and do it for the sake of your soul so that it can be at rest. Aren't you tired of that battle? Oh, my goodness. Killer number three. I think it gets easier. I think it does. Unmet needs. Unmet needs. You know, when I have things in my life that or for the people I love that I desperately want to provide and I don't know where they're gonna come from. Those things can rob us from resting in God. We have, of course, Matthew chapter six. Why don't you just turn there with me? Jesus' famous words from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bins, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone who by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can anyone by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can anyone by worrying add anything to your life? So do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things. What he's saying is that's what unbelieving people worry about day in and day out. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will come along for the ride. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. (laughs) Today has enough trouble of its own. When I obsess about the needs in my life to the point where I wake up at night and the lists start running through my mind and I can't go to sleep anymore, or I'm unable to just be calm and trusting in God, what I'm doing is I am focusing more on the provision than the provider. I am focusing on the next meal instead of the one who promises he will take care of my needs. Now, that's not to say we don't work hard, we don't seek to provide, but the point is I am dependent on God, not on those provisions. Does that make sense to you? I need to focus on the right things, and unmet needs can get in the way of that. And so let me ask you this question. What need is grabbing your focus from God and causing anxiety in your soul? And can you trust Christ's words when he says your heavenly father knows what you need? Can you rest in daddy's provision for you. And killer number four unconfronted fears. The things that paralyze us, that keep us from stepping by faith into the fullness of God's life and therefore entering into his rest. Just like the children of Israel, that first generation that we looked at on the first or the second week or so that failed to enter into the rest of the promised land because they feared things that were obstacles more than they trusted God who said, go and take the land it's yours. What are those fears that paralyze us and hold our heart captive? I want to look, uh, as our final passage today, a story in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of Peter and Jesus who took a walk on the Sea of Galilee. I mean on the sea. This is just after Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people. We pick up the story at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so shortly after dawn, Jesus went out to them And then Peter, give Peter credit. Come on here. He steps out. Peter climbed out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. That's really where our life can be at times, right, spiritually. Sometimes we can have our eyes on Jesus so strongly that we're rising above everything. In the storms of our life, we're walking on water, None of it's getting to us. We are at peace. But then, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I put it up there on the screen. When Peter saw the wind and waves, do you think suddenly he realized there was wind and waves? Like he's walking out there, and all of a sudden he goes, ooh, it's kind of windy out here. The sea was tumultuous, and the wind was against them, which means that they weren't able to get the ship back to shore. They had been battling with it all this time. Peter knew there was wind and waves. So what does it mean when it says when he saw the wind and waves? What that means is they captured his attention. They captured his focus rather than Jesus. And as soon as that happened, no more walking on water. No more rising above the storm and the circumstances. In fact, he begins to sink under them and he needs to cry out to God. That's what our fears do to us. When we focus on our fears, we begin to sink under the worries and the storms because we're not focusing on Jesus. And what that brings us to is this question. What situation is causing fear to overwhelm your trust in God? and therefore robbing you of soul rest. We see in this story the ultimate remedy for soul rest, for all the killers of our soul rest, and it's simply this, eyes on Jesus. It's eyes on Jesus. When I have unconfessed sin, I I don't want to look at Jesus. I don't want to see him on the cross and remember he died for that very sin that I am cherishing and hiding and continuing in and refusing to let go of, but I I keep my eyes on Jesus. I see him dying for that sin, calling me to repent and willing, just waiting to bring forgiveness and joy to us. Eyes on Jesus. When I have an unforgiving spirit, keep my eye on Jesus, who as he hung on the cross said to the Lord, even of those who were executing him, Father, forgive them. Yeah. When I have unmet needs, I keep my eye on Jesus, who said to so many so often, and he says to us, what do you want me to do? And then promises, your heavenly Father knows what you need. Seek him first. Yeah, and when we have unconfronted fears, we need to see Jesus being with us in it. Nothing to fear, even the wind and the waves. Here's the thing, we do these things to ourselves. All these things. We may be victims of circumstances and people, but these things are in our life because we let them be in our lives. We rob ourselves of soul rest. By letting these things be in our life. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, He is faithful. Well, there you go. I hope that's been helpful to you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. So many ways that we get in our own way of the rest that you offer us in our relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray for people here that need to. Yield to that heavy hand of God on their hearts and confess sin and find the joy of their salvation in confessing. And I pray for those who need to liberate themselves from those that have wounded and brought harm to them by relinquishing their bitterness and their pain so that they can pull that root out and replace it with the peace of Christ. And I pray for those here that are so worried about needs in their life and so fearful about the future that they are paralyzed and looking to these things rather than looking to you, Father. I pray for liberty from all these things so that the peace of Christ can flood our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.